Let's go to the book of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 is, is uh, where we are continuing. Um, in fact, it's, it's um, man, it's just really exciting stuff. If you remember last week, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on this Mount of Transfiguration. And his glory, his very essence shines through. I mean, it's, it, it's just amazing. Uh, and, and, you know, Peter, James, and John, they're just at a loss as, as to how magnificent this is. They, they'll never forget it. They'll never forget it. Um, and as wonderful as glory was, and, and there with, with Jesus and showing forth he is the Son of God, God the Father speaking this, that he is my beloved son. Listen to him. Uh, we also know they got to come down the mountain, right? You know, it's one thing when you go up the mountain, it's a glorious thing, but it's real disappointing when you finally come down. <laughs> and, and we talked about these hyperlinks, and you remember that on that mount, there were two other guys. Who were they? Showed up. Moses and Elijah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, haven't, they haven't been around for a while. And here they are. And, and we said these are hyperlinks because they too had had a mountain moment. They had a revealing on Mount Sinai, if you remember. And we follow these hyperlinks to help us understand what it is that, that Mark is trying to tell us. What it is that Jesus is trying to tell us with this event. And, and when we come back to Moses and we say, okay, Moses had this great mountain moment with God. When he came down, what did he find? Do you remember? The golden calf. Yeah, so there's idolatry, right? Um, rebellion among God's people. I mean, God just made this covenant with them. And, and, then, and then you find this. Now... Elijah, why did he go up the mountain to begin with? Why did God tell him, come to Mount Sinai, come up here and, and let me, my glory, pass before you? Do you remember why? Give you a hint. No one names their daughter after this woman's name. Jezebel, right? Beautiful name, actually has a beautiful meaning, but nobody wants to call their child Jezebel. So what he had been dealing with before, and even when he comes down, it hasn't been fixed, is government oppression, right? Uh, he's dealing with this government oppression. It, and all of this had to do with idolatry as well, right? Uh, threats. That, that's all the things that we find down here in the valley. Okay. So, that's what I want us to think about, okay? This is Moses and Elijah. This is what things were when they came down after this great revealing of God. And, and that takes us into our text. Somebody read for us verses 14 through 18.
Okay. So when they come down the mountain, it's a mess, right? It's a mess. Now, one thing I thought was interesting is as soon as they see Jesus, the crowds are greatly amazed. We've seen this word before. And basically, they are very excited to see Jesus. Now, what's, what is interesting here is normally um, they, they, we find that they are greatly amazed after Jesus teaches or after one of his miracles. This is a time where they first see him and they feel this way. And, and it's probably because of everything that's going on down below. What's been going on while he's been up here um, and, and this glorification. And so what we find is chaos, right? There's just absolute chaos that is down here on the mount. What do you think Peter, James, and John are thinking as when they came down with Jesus and they see all of this? Do what? Yeah, let's go back up, right? Let's go back up the mountain. Uh, maybe this will blow over. We'll come back down later kind of thing, right? I mean, this is just, this is absolutely um, a mess. And so while Jesus and the inner circle were up on the mount and Jesus is bringing forth this transfiguration of himself and the glory of God, uh, what was happening down here below? Okay, down, down here, there's arguing. What are that? What? What's the issue? What? Why is? Why are the scribes and and the apostles arguing with each other? What's this over? Okay, okay. So down here in the valley, there's evil spirits, or an evil spirit in this situation, right? So there's evil, a, a real presence of evil. Uh, and, and you said that they couldn't cast them out. Jesus' own disciples couldn't cast them out. So guess what we have down here? We have failures. So down in the valley, there's failures. Yes. Who's that? The... Well, real good question. When we go back to chapter 6, you remember, Jesus sent them out two by two. And one of the things that they had been given the authority to do is to cast out demons. So this is not their first rodeo, right? Uh, and so here they are. And in this situation, and remember, when he sends them out, Jesus isn't with them. And they're casting out demons, they're healing the sick, and all this kind of stuff. So here, all of a sudden, we see... They're not able to do it, right? Now, what, what I find interesting is um, Jesus' question to them. He comes down, and he sees them arguing, and he asks them, what are you arguing about? What are you arguing about? And, and we already said it. What they're arguing about, it, it has to do with this botched healing or, or this botched uh, exorcism. Now, of course, Mark, you know Mark, he's not going to give us the details. <laughs> he's just not going to tell us what they're saying. You know, we can use our imaginations, but that's all it would be. You know, maybe we can imagine the, the scribes are, you know, mocking them, taunting the, the, uh, the apostles here. Uh, doesn't say. Uh, I think it's also very possible they're sitting here and they're, they're telling them they're doing it wrong. 
And the reason I say that is because the Jews also were known for casting out demons. And you're like, really? Yeah. Uh, Josephus. Remember us talking about Josephus. He was a, a Jewish historian in the day. And so he records on these things. And one of the things he records are these things. One of the things is burning herbs. They would immerse people in trying to cast out these, these evil spirits in folks. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls give us a little bit of the Qumran community. And, and they believe that, um, you know, uh, they, they tried different things in order to um, cast out what they, what they would refer to mostly of disease-carrying demons. And they even had four songs, get this, they even had four songs that we know of in the Qumran community uh, in trying to kind of soothe demons, all right? So it's very possible they're saying, well, the reason you're not, you guys aren't able to do this is because you're doing it wrong. And that's, that's a real possibility. But I think more than anything else, and it's something else we find down in the valley, is humiliation. Right? You think these, uh, these apostles down here were humiliated? You know, it's one thing to fail, right? But it's another thing to fail in front of your enemies in front of the very people who are opposing you and the things that you teach and the things that, that you um, have been a part of. And so, you know, this was a very serious situation that we see here with this demon, very powerful. Um, you know, it, it caused this boy to shake, go into convulsions, to grind his teeth, to become stiff as a board, to foam at the mouth. I mean, we, we read all of this stuff and we, we realize this is, this is a really serious situation. So what I want us to see now is, what is Jesus' response? Okay, he's given them a chance to say, okay, what are you arguing about? Now it's time for Jesus to kind of respond to this. So somebody read for us verses 19 through 27. 19 through 27. One thing I want to notice, and this is all a part of what you find down in the valley, okay? Before our time of being in glory, to, to, to have that glorified body that we'll one day have as, as he points towards resurrection and these, these um, glorified bodies that we'll have, is faithless generation. Folks, that's where we live. We live in a faithless generation, right? Uh, and who is the faithless generation that Jesus speaks of here? Who was it? The crowds. The word generation is used five times in Mark. Every single time he's talking about the crowds. Never once does he talk about the disciples. So in case you're wondering, is he talking to his, his disciples here and calling them a part of the faithless generation or the others? He, he's talking to them. And he says something here that's really interesting. Uh, Jesus says, how long, how much longer am I going to be with you? What's he alluding to? Do what? Yeah, remember, he's going to Jerusalem. That's where he's on his way to. He knows he doesn't have much longer on earth. He's going to die. He will resurrect. 
and he will eventually ascend. But he's like, how much longer am I going to be with you? How much longer are, you know, are these things going to happen? And this was just a really, um, just a really trying situation. Four times, by the way, four times in this text, it mentions, you know, just the things that this boy was going through. Uh, and it just shows the intensity of what was happening as well. So Jesus, you know, and, and by the way, I think it says something, this faithless generation have something to do with the healing. And if you remember, there was another time where Jesus wasn't able to do a lot of healing. Where was it? It was in Nazareth, remember? And by the way, Israel was called a crooked and twisted generation, a perverse generation. They were called a lot of things by uh, the prophets as far as generation. But if you remember back in chapter 6, he wasn't able to do mighty works in Nazareth, except he laid his hands on a few people, healed them, and, they, and he marveled at their unbelief. So Jesus leaves. And, and so here it may have something to do with these disciples not being able to do as they had done before, which was to just cast out um, these demons. Now, he does something here that he does, has not done in any of the other exorcisms. Normally, when there is someone who is possessed with an evil spirit, who does Jesus first address? Yeah, he addresses the spirit. In this situation, who does Jesus first address? It's this distraught father. He doesn't even address the boy. He addresses this father. And what does he tell this father that he must do? Yeah, you must believe. And this is the first time, by the way, the first time Jesus has required faith as a part of these healings. Now, could Jesus have just said the word and that demon be gone? Sure, we've, we've got many illustrations of this, even worse than this demon was doing to this particular boy. Uh, but in this situation, he wanted this father um, to have faith. Uh, and so the father is a part of the faithless generation. Okay, you see this. He's a part of the faithless generation. And he is not sure Jesus can heal his son. Why do I say that? Yes, if there is anything you can do. And I love Jesus' reply. What does he say? If I can? And it should be like, my, the English Standard Version has an exclamation point. I know some translations have a question mark. I think it should be like exclamation, question mark, exclamation. If I can? You know, in other words, this guy does not believe. Now, has he gotten a whole lot of things happening down below that would cause him to say, yeah, you know what, I just really believe Jesus can probably do this now. No, I mean, it's chaos down here. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a terrible thing. Now, Jesus, and it's very important we understand this, and we bring this up because it's the first time he said this, we need to understand that he's not saying, look, if we have enough faith, that whatever we want, God is going to make it happen. Okay? What he's saying here is, we should not limit God in what he can do. We don't always understand the answers we get, but we are not to limit God 
in what he can do in our time of distress, in our time of, of difficulty. So this father is struggling, right? The faith that he needs to have, he doesn't have. Or so he thinks. Well, how does, listen to what he said. What did he say, the father, this father said? like what is that i believe help my unbelief and 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 you you get this what's happening here is he's straining he's really straining to have faith now folks that is what's totally different from nazareth they didn't want to believe they didn't care to believe This father is not saying, look, um, before I really believe, I need you to give me a sign from heaven. Remember remember the Pharisees who had done this to Jesus? Well, you give us this sign from heaven, then we'll believe. He's not asking for that. He's just saying, I I want to believe that you can do this. I, I really want to believe really what he believes is impossible to do. And it's impossible for man. Now, here's the question. Here he is, and he's struggling with this. I, I believe, help my unbelief, um, but, but does, does he have enough faith for his son to be healed? Is his son healed? Yeah, absolutely. Now, we need to understand, he doesn't, ha- he, <laughs> he doesn't have this faith that is so strong that that faith just just pulls it listen this is open honest raw emotion that we see from this father um and so jesus rebukes the unclean spirit he commands him to come out of the boy he commands that spirit to never enter him again and then what happens right after that okay isn't that interesting uh, let's lead up to that. He all of a sudden starts convulsing again. And by the way, many people say, well, this is epilepsy. This is not a demon possession here. Uh, I think very definitely what we're finding here is epilepsy. Uh, but at the same time that we see this, the, this, this evil spirit is using that as a power, maybe causing these seizures and these kinds of things to happen at a whim, comes around fire, causing it to, to, you know, just fall off into the fire or maybe into the water that it talks about. Um, but that doesn't, that's not saying that this Jesus heals him of epilepsy. No, I believe there's a demon in there. I believe this epilepsy is, uh, is, is definitely a part of it. Um, but the demon attacks the boy one last time. It screams, the boy shakes, he collapsed, and the crowd thinks what? That he's dead. Okay. Folks, (laughs) right now, it looks like things went from from bad to worse. You know? At least with with these apostles, you know, they weren't able to cast him out, but they didn't kill the boy, you know? And, And you're wondering, I mean, this is what the crowd's thinking. Oh, man, he killed him. He killed him. It's really interesting terminology here, and Mark makes sure that we get this terminology. Um, because all these things, really, that's happening to this boy, Jesus has dealt with before. Uh, it mentions 
uh, you know, here that he has these seizures and he became rigid. It's happened before. Remember the, the guy with the withered hand? It's the same word for rigid. Jesus restored him. That was not a problem. Uh, the, this demon screams out this ungodly scream, uh, unearthly scream. Jesus has dealt with that. Actually, it should be Mark 5 and verse 7. And remember Legion? Remember that whole thing? Jesus, Jesus cast, him out, cast them out. That was not a problem. Uh, but what I want us to, to also really see here is that he throws him down, he goes into these convulsions, and they think he's dead. And then Mark, or Jesus in his words, is resurrection language. Folks, this is fascinating. So, verse 29, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Has Jesus had to deal with the dead before? Who did he deal with? Yeah, Jairus' daughter. All right, watch this at the healing. Jesus taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Folks, the exact same language. In resurrecting this daughter, he now is using in this situation. Now it's like, well, so why is Jesus doing that? And, because he's showing us something. All right, so Jesus uh, drives out evil. And the other thing he does for this boy is he gives him new life. This life that he had before, it was terrible. What this is, is the mission of Christ. And, it, and it's found in all of this. Okay? The mission of Christ is to drive out evil. Not necessarily just like demons, but evil. Sin. The whole, whatever, whatever is behind evil and Satan and all this kind of stuff, that's what Jesus has come to do and to give this new life. And, and that's so important as to what we find here. Jesus before is the one that the Bible, had, we had mentioned before, he is the strong man who has come to liberate the captives. You remember talking about that with these, you know, with these demons and they were accusing him actually of being Beelzebul? And, and he comes back and he says, no, 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 you don't understand. I've come, I've come to, to rescue them. I've come to drive out the evil. I've come to give them new life. That's what Jesus is, has come to do. All right, let's keep going. Somebody read for us verses 28 and 29. All right, so Jesus goes with the 12 to a private house. Now, usually when Jesus takes someone into a private house or takes his apostles or disciples, whatever, it usually he's going to give them further teaching on what they have just seen or something that he has said and things of that sort, and that's what's happening here. Now, I find it also interesting with Mark. 
we don't we are not given the reaction of the crowd. You know, most of the time we you know, well, the crowd was amazed. Well, they were amazed up here. You know, he doesn't say anything about the father. You know, his reaction to all of this, you know, or even that he said, "Well, I've got faith." You know, I've got a faith that I didn't have before. Mark is laser focused on these disciples. And 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 what happens when disciples are down here in the valley and they have gone through this chaos and arguing and this evil and their failures and humiliation amongst this faithless generation and it, you know it's like okay let's talk about it and so why does Jesus say they were not able to cast out this evil spirit Yeah, prayer. Prayer, it has the ability to drive out the things that are evil, okay? This, this is a very, very important as, um, as we look at this. Now, do any of your translations, let me say this uh, before we go on, do any of your translations say uh, some manuscripts add and fasting anybody have fasting in your translation uh, is it King James King James uh, does have um, um, and fasting and we see these sometimes and it bothers us because do what fasted yours has fasted what translation okay King James yes yes so a lot of times we're like, okay, well, it's like, well, the King James has and fasting, or some of the older translations will say and fasting, and it's like, you know, why are they taking out verses? And to kind of give you a little bit of that, just not to be scared about that, uh, because as we get to the end of Mark, we find a pretty big little chunk there that um, a lot of translations will at least put a footnote to say these were not in the original or the oldest um, manuscripts. When, so when he says these these manuscripts, some manuscripts, he's talking about um, these. Um, there, there are the earliest manuscripts. So the reason you find discrepancies is like the King James version. I mean, that was way, way, way back, 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 back. Uh, excellent translation. Very good translation. New King James has it as well. Uh, so what's happened is, since that time of that translation, there have been new findings of fragments of these uh, books of the Bible. And they're, they're earlier editions. They're the oldest. So they compare them. And if there's anything that was there in the later versions that they found, opposed to the earlier ones, they take it out. Because it's something that a scribal person could have added in there. Uh, and, and this is not to say fasting is a bad thing. Uh, that, that's just not to say that at all. But let me just kind of give you an idea. So here's, let's just say this is 2019. This is the first century. In 2011, um, it was, there were rumors about these Mark fragments that had been found. Uh, and actually, here's a portion of those fragments. Now, we heard about these, but they did not reveal what was in them until 2018 because they studied them 
they compared them, they, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So over here is when we now know what was in those manuscripts, okay? And you say, well, where did they get this manuscript? Well, that's really interesting as well. Uh, it comes from this place called Oxarinus. I think that's how you say it. Oxarinkus, uh, which is down here in Egypt. And these two guys are the ones who first discovered these, these fragments. And this is between, um, without giving you a whole lot of history lesson, this is between 1896 and 1906. And this is an Egyptian garbage dump. And they find all of these fragments. Now, not all of them, and I would probably even say most of them were not biblical manuscripts. And what has been revealed to us since that time and what they've been able to put together, we only have 1% that's come out of this Egyptian garbage dump, okay? And so what they've been doing is they've looked at them and they're studying them, they're taking them apart, and it's, it's a very intricate process. And they were really excited about, you know, what was going to be revealed because the rumor was they had something back to the first century. We don't have anything, any of our manuscripts of, of our writers from the first century, okay? Uh, and, and so I wish we had Mark's exact letter and it had been preserved and all of this kind of stuff, but we don't. They, they copied those things. It wasn't from the first century, what they determined. And what it ended up being is uh, the mid, mid, maybe running out of ink here, mid-2nd century to the early 3rd century. You're like, wow, that's a bummer. But here's the thing. It's, it is the oldest manuscripts we have of the Gospel of Mark. So when we say that there are these like English Standard versions, the English Standard is very careful. They're very careful translation. They will only use what is the youngest or really the oldest, rather, the oldest manuscripts that are found. And they're going to compare them uh, because people could very easily put those things in there. It's like, well, if they weren't in the older ones, why are they, not, why are they in the, old, uh, you know, the newest ones? Now, here's the other thing is fasting doesn't make sense here. Okay? And, and the reason I say it doesn't make sense is because you remember back in Mark chapter 2. And Jesus said, my disciples, it is inappropriate for them to fast while the bridegroom is here. So it wouldn't make sense that Jesus would now say, well, the reason you can't cast out this evil spirit is because you didn't fast and pray. That just wouldn't make sense. Now, that doesn't mean today, in dealing with evil, in dealing with whatever, that fasting is a part of our prayer lives. What we're looking at is that text. That's, that's the main reason that we look at that as for what it is. Um, so that's just to kind of give you a little bit of boring history lesson there. Now, you might be interested to know, this is the first time in Mark, Jesus tells them to pray. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus hasn't talked to them about prayer before that time. I'm just saying, in the Gospel of Mark, it's the first time he says, you need to be praying. Now, why did they need to pray in this situation? Why do you think? Yeah, that's part of it. 
Glory goes to God. What else? Power comes from God, right? So if you want this power to drive out evil, it almost looks like Elvis here, so I'm going to go ahead and put my L out here. Um, to, to drive out evil, then you've got to go to God. He's the power source. And, and only through this prayer does God give this ability to deal with the evil and the faithless generation in our world. We can't do it of ourselves. I don't care how godly we think that we are or how much we think that we walk with God. We've got to pray. It's, it's just absolutely imperative that we do this. And I think part of this as well is that these disciples had gotten to the point they felt like they had the power within themselves. I mean, Jesus gave them this power, right? But you remember what they asked back in verse 28. Why could we not cast it out they don't say why did God not cast it out why couldn't we do this and so that's one of the temptations they got to remember God gave them authority over the unclean spirits so they must continue to go before before God now let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 real quick I'm getting close to ending here Ephesians chapter 6, and we see that even after Jesus' death, his resurrection, listen, listen to what it says. So verses 10 through 12, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In other words, evil. And so he says, for, and listen to this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of heaven, of evil in the heavenly places. And he says, listen, you're going to find these things, and you're going to find them in places of authority. And, and folks, we've got to see this. This is why I tell you, we, listen, we cannot put our trust in, in world leaders. Our trust and power to change the world, to overcome evil, it comes through prayer. It comes by, you got to put on this full armor, but I, I want to go down to verse 18, and he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In all circumstances, we are to continue to go to God in prayer. I may be a good person. I may read my Bible. I may, you know, make it here and where a lot of folks are not making it here on a Sunday morning. And because you're, you love God. But he says we've got to keep going to God in prayer. Don't, you can't fight this of your own. It's not of your ability. And, and I want you to think just for a second. So they, they weren't able to drive out this evil, right? 
When Jesus comes down the mountain, what are the apostles doing? Arguing with the scribes. Are they in prayer about it? No. Are they ministering to this distraught father about it? They're arguing. They're arguing. Uh, I think they're, they're starting to get it a little bit why Jesus would go off and he would pray often. Uh, they missed it a lot of times because they're the ones who interrupted Jesus for their own selfish means. Um, but at the same time, uh, they're not getting it quite yet because we know in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is going to ask them to pray with him. And what, what do they do? They sleep. They haven't gotten it quite yet. But they're going to think back on these moments and they're going to realize how important this was. You know, there is evil in the world. Folks, we're down here. We're living in the chaos and the arguing and, the, and evil and failures and humiliation and a faithless generation. We want to be up here in the mountain, but unfortunately we're down here now. This, this is to show us that we continue to fight and we continue to pray and ask God to help us so that we can get to this day of glory. Folks, that's what this is about. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you, Father, for your Son who, who not only died for our sins, but he rose and, he, and he's waiting to come back for us. And Father, we just pray that you'll be with us while we're still down in the valley, while we're still struggling. And Father, help us to continue to turn to you. Help us to have the kind of faith that can move mountains. But Father, even, even when we're struggling with our faith, Father, just help us to bring to you what we have and to just give it everything that we have. And just, Father, we just pray uh, that you move on it. And so, Father, we just ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you're dismissed to worship.